Thank you for listening to the Vantage Point Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I just want to welcome up one of my favorite preachers, second to Pastor Kyle. I have to say that because he's my boss. But please welcome Pastor Austin Kane. You didn't know you were getting a comedy act before the service, did you? Uh, when he was uh, praying for our country, um, talking about how God is still the king, I couldn't help but think of the great revivalist Blake Shelton, and he proclaims that it is God's country. So we believe that here, and uh, we're pursuing that. So um, my name is Pastor Austin. I pastor the young adult ministry here, and it's uh, it's been such an incredible journey. Um, if, if you've ever said yes to God, and even in a, what you felt like might have been a small way, it's incredible what God does. Um, people talk about the ministry, the young adult ministry, in, in, a, in a good light, and sometimes I sit back and I'm like, I am a facilitator. Like, I, get, I put things on calendars, and we have cool things, and God just has had so much grace on the ministry. So, um, clearly none of the young adults are screaming or yelling, so maybe I'm lying about the whole thing. Maybe it's terrible, so. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, a little bit about myself. I am married, um, going on five years, and uh, we have three kids. My wife, um, she was at the 9 a.m. She's not here this morning, but um, we have three kids, two girls. They're twins. They're three years old, and I got a one-year-old boy, and uh, fun, so fun. Um, his favorite thing to do lately is smash his head on things, particularly when he's upset. Um, whatever is near him, his head will make contact with. Um, calms him down, so it's, it's pretty therapeutic. You should try it sometime. <laughs> calms him down or knocks him out. One of the two things happens. So, but, um, yeah, we, we love our life. It's definitely chaotic, as uh, any parents know. It doesn't matter if you have one kid or six. Like, being a parent is challenging, and it's exciting, and the blanket chips are like, Yep, <laughs> they can fill a school bus. So, <laughs> but um, it's super fun. We really enjoy it, and uh, God has just given us so much grace for the season we're in. And the reason why I mention the kind of chaos of the season is because everybody has chaotic seasons. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. Um, but one thing I did hear about having three children is it's like having two um, and drowning, and then when you go for the third, it's drowning and somebody handing you a baby while you're drowning. So. I can relate to anything. I can say that that's true, um, but it's fun, and we all walk through these seasons, and um, they're challenging, but they're fun, and today, I, what I want to talk about is just is life, um, not so much like life that you're living, but life inside of you, the life that, as a believer, you should have, the life in your bones, the joy that we should be having inside of our spirits, inside of our souls, and our bodies, and, and too many times as Christians, I mean, we have so much to be grateful for, to be thankful for, to be happy and joyful about, and, and yet we, even as believers, believers and non-believers alike, we go through life, and too often we wake up every day not saying, oh man, what, what, what are we going to do today? I'm so excited for this day, but instead we wake up too often with, oh man, another day, uh, another, another day, got to go to work again today, or how, I wonder how the kids are going to be today, or you know, if you have troubles with your relationships, I wonder how my husband's going to, I wonder how smart he's going to be today to me, or you know, just different things like that, and as opposed to looking forward to life, we dread it way too often, and I want to challenge you that as a believer, not only should you, but the Bible tells us that as the righteous, we're meant to be happy and joyful, and I, I just think that we need to go into a season where we practice joy, we practice thankfulness, we practice all these things, and, and when we think about gratitude, gratitude equals life. The reason why I say gratitude equals life, I see an issue, I see an issue in, in gratitude, particularly 
I often see it in young people, but I see it, I see it in every generation. And, and the reason why I think that gratitude is what's going to give us the life in our bones is because without it, we will never plant roots. Without thankfulness, without being content with where God has put you, you'll never plant roots, and you'll always be looking forward to what's next. And in that, you're striving. And in that, you're stressed. In that, you're comparing, and you're keeping up with the Joneses. And, and it's, it's too much for one person to handle. It's too much pressure. You're never meant to carry that kind of pressure on your life. But I want to read this morning out of Psalms 68, verse 1 through 10. Before that, I want to pray because I really want God to speak today, and I really want some open hearts because we lack joy and we need it. Amen? God, I thank you, Lord, for, for your presence here. God, I thank you that, that you are so clearly in this room. And I do believe from the bottom of my heart, and there's not a single person in this room or watching online that is watching by accident, that is witnessing this by accident. God, I believe that each and every person has had a divine appointment from you to be here, to be in attendance today, for you to speak something to their hearts, God. And I pray for open hearts, open minds. I pray that we can eliminate distractions of the difficulties of the weeks before this, the fears of the world and the chaos that's going on, but we can center in on you and your spirit, God. And I pray that whatever's said today, you will minister to each person the way that they need to be ministered to this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's get into the scripture. Psalms uh, chapter 68 is basically the main thing today. I'll go through the other stuff, but that's going to be... Where we're going to be at primarily today. So if you want to open up to chapter 68, starting in verse 1, it says, May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you, bl- may you blow them away like smoke. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. This is my favorite part. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. What does that translation say? The same thing? Oh, perfect. Some of them say different things, and I particularly like the NIV version of this one because it says, may they be happy and joyful, and it makes it so plain. We don't have to decipher King James versions, and what does that word mean? Well, it means happy and joyful, and so I really want that to get in our spirits tonight because circumstances shouldn't base whether or not we have life in our bones. What we walk through shouldn't determine whether or not Jesus is alive in our hearts, amen? And continuing on, it says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, and he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Maybe we're rebellious, it feels real sun-scorched around here these times, but... When you, God, went out, that landed way better in in the 9 a.m. When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the one of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people, now hear this, because so many people live in, in stress, anxiety, and chaos. Your people settled and in it, and from your bounty, God, you provided for the poor. Your people settled. In the beginning of this, uh, this scripture, I think it's verse number three, may they be happy and joyful. And towards the end it says, your people settled. And I think we need to get to the place where we're not so shooken up by every little circumstance. I, I have somebody in my life who, who lost their job recently, and everybody around him is, why, why are you not freaking out about that? Um, he has a family, and yet he walks each and every single day. Just doesn't, he's not 
wavered by the fact that he lost his job. Instead, he trusts in God. And when asked about it, he's like, it's not just natural, like I just, I'm careless. It's that I wake up and choose to trust in God each and every single day that he's got my best interest in mind. And we need to get to the point because even amongst chaos where, where in otherwise, if his identity was in his job, can you imagine how unsettling it would be to lose your job? Can you imagine the, the lack of joy and happiness that you might have in life if your identity is in anything but Christ? Because everything else is completely temporal. I think that God sent me today with a gift, and that gift is life. It's not something I provide, but it's something I carry. And the reason why I say give, to give it, is because it's contagious. And anything that's contagious, when you get around somebody that's contagious, they give it to you. I'm not talking about the virus, so relax. <laughs> but life, I mean, you know those people. I know you do. Those people that you meet, and they are just like almost intimidatingly just like so alive. And it's, it doesn't matter what hour it is. They're just alive and joyful and awake, and there's just energy. And it's supernatural because sometimes the circumstances don't quite line up for the reason that they are being the way that they're being. And I am a firm believer that it is found in Christ. And I believe this. I believe that we are all living, and if you don't believe that, you're not going to believe anything else that I say. I believe we're all living, but that we don't all contain life in our bones. And there's a major difference between living and then containing the life that God gives us as believers. And I started asking myself, why might that be? Why, why do some people go through life just seem, seeming like they are completely stressed out and full of anxiety at all times? And then others, regardless of the circumstances, their happiness and their joy it just remain at times. And it doesn't make sense to somebody who doesn't know Jesus to see somebody like that going through difficult times and not be wavered by it. And I believe this. After praying and, and asking God about this, this is the conclusion I came to. I believe that, that a life full of life boils down to gratitude. Do we have thankfulness in our heart? Are we, are we okay with where God has us? Are we waking up and thanking God every single day for where we are at. I think about I think about my life. I think about you know, I don't know if love what love language you are, but I sure like receiving gifts. And I think right now if I came home from this service, pulled in my driveway to a brand new Silverado, the joy I would have that would be long lasting. If it was a Ford it wouldn't be very long lasting because but it's a <laughs> There's literally, like, Ford guys that had no reaction when I said coming home to a truck because I said shit. But anyways, the joy that I would have, it would be so evident. It would be so clear how happy I am about this thing. And my question is, when did salvation and Jesus dying on the cross not become a reason to celebrate each and every day with the same level or more than what we're dealing with? You see, the reason why I think life is tied to gratitude is because without gratitude and thankfulness, we'll never plant roots. And without roots, there's no fruit. Without fruit, there's no food. And without food, there's no life. And without life, you're not going to be the best example of Christ that we're called to be. And this time, greater than ever before, we need to be evangelizing. We need to be telling people about Jesus because it's the only reasonable hope in a time like this. And I, I heard a pastor say this recently that the church is always like revival's here, revival's coming in, and we're praying for revival. And it's true, we are. But he made this point that revival doesn't often come 
just randomly. It often comes after trying times. The reason is, when we think of revival, we think of a flooding of people coming to know God. And a lot of times, when they're comfortable in their success, they see no reason for a Savior. But right now, people are looking up for answers. They're looking for a Savior. They're looking for some kind of hope to latch on to. And if we can at least get, you may not be a theological major, you, you may not have all that, but if you can have the life that Christ offers us inside of you, you will be one of the greatest examples of Jesus to the people that you encounter. We want to get to the point where when people are bumping into us on the street, they're also bumping into God, and they're one, you're so happy. Like, why are you so happy? And I can think of people right off the top of my head. Yeah, Pastor Eli is one of them. If you, I mean, you guys saw it, right? Displayed right here in front of all of you. That he is so full of life. And I can tell you it's not just when he has a microphone in his hand. He has fun with a microphone in his hand, but he's constantly just full of life. Anybody that encounters him enjoys that and is a receiver of that, and it's contagious. Not only is life contagious, though, it's, it's challenging because it kind of makes you start to think of ways to be the same way. Like, I ran into one guy in Target, and I, now I think about it, I'm like, maybe he was trying to get me on a pyramid scheme and just I wasn't biting, so he left. But he was like, he came up to me, complete stranger. And, go, and just starts having a conversation with me. I was, I was busy. I was trying to get in and out, but I let him talk to me because he was just so just kind and care. It seemed like he really cared. Maybe, who knows? But <laughs> the, real or fake, this guy just had something. And it, it was just this life, this kindness, this realness. He's asking me all about my life and stuff and my job. And I'm like, you want to know if I'm content with my job. And if I say no, then I'll be in your job making you. Anyways, but I just, he had this thing about him, and I left, and I told my wife, I was like, whatever that guy had, I want some of that. I, like, it was just something that felt, regardless of his intent, it was just his personality was what was inside of him was this life. And I was like, I want to be more like that. So it's not only is it, is it something that's, that's contagious, but it's really attractive, and it kind of challenges us to ask ourselves, how can I be one of those people? I think in reality, we all want to be one of those people that people really want to be around. We want to be those people that, that people say, hey, you got to meet this person, and it will make your life better if you know this person. And we all kind of want to get to that place and what great influencers we can be for the kingdom when we do get to that place. I think about our society today and reasons why we might lack uh, gratitude, and it's because we have instant gratification. And I think that our lack of, or the, the instant gratification society has led us to a catastrophic lack of contentment, lack of gratitude, lack of thankfulness. And, and it's not necessarily a good thing. Like, there's benefits to us being able to get things on demand. There's, there's really good things with that. But, but when we are seeking this instant gratification, we become complacent and we are never satisfied because we know that in reality we can get whatever is next pretty quickly. And the word cancel culture, that phrase is common right now. But we're not just a cancel culture, we're a replacement culture. We are, it's broken, I need a new one culture. It's, it's all of these things in my life, if I have to invest any effort, I'm just going to get a new one. And I, I mentioned this in the first service, that nowadays, if your shoes are busted, you just go buy a new pair. And most of the young people in this room have never heard of a cobbler before. And it's, it's somebody who will repair your shoes for you for actually pretty cheap. And we still have one locally. Let's plug him. He's on down by Main Street, so I think he's still open. And now I've never quite seen it, but I think he is open. But we live in this culture that's just so full of replacement. And this is what our children and our young people are growing up learning. That it, if, if something's broken, we don't fix it anymore. We look for the newer version of it. And a couple examples of, I don't like this, I want a new one, is 
I don't like this job, I want a new one. As opposed to really digging your heels and in somewhere that might have a lot of opportunity, it might take you some time to get there, but there's opportunity and, and instead we like to just quit and go look for something else. Or, or another example is, I don't like this town, I need to get out of here. I'm not going to make you raise your hands, young people, but there, are, or maybe you've been in this town your entire life, but I can tell you this, growing up, more, than, more often than not, I heard, I can't wait till I graduate to get out of this town. This, I hate this town, all this stuff. And I mean, almost 100% either never left or left and came right back. And so there's this, this, this culture of just, I, I want this new, I want to get out of here, I want something else. And, or I don't like this car, it's not new enough. And it goes deeper than that, too. We, we deal with this on a far deeper level than just the surface level. And these are the kinds of things that our children are witnessing. Things like, I don't like this husband, I want a new one. Or I don't like this wife, I want a new one. Or I don't like this church, I want a new one. And those are things that man, children growing up watching and, and young people seeing it as an example is the opposite of the heart of God. Our, our God runs and flourishes on root systems and fruit. You see it time and time again through, through the word of God analogies of using fruit and root systems. And when we're never planting our roots in somewhere and investing in ourselves, then we'll never reach the potential God wanted us to reach. We think we're going up in life when we keep moving from one thing to another, but we're remaining at the same level. It's just new. So there's a new atmosphere that brings new excitement, but it's not necessarily you moving up into the potential God has for you. And there there are times for transition. There are times where God calls you out of somewhere and into somewhere else. But I want to get to the point where we're in tune with his spirit and not our flesh. We're in tune with the leading of God to go somewhere else, do something new. Not, I just want something new. And you can make stuff exciting when you invest in it. If you're, I think about church for an example. When I first started going to church, not being involved, it was like, this is whatever. And I could get this anywhere kind of thing. And once I got involved, and this is not just like a, a hey, we're going to have volunteer sign-up shoots after this. This is for real. Like, I, once I invested into something, once I truly took pride in something and invested myself into it, all of a sudden that thing that I felt like I could have got anywhere became special, unique, incredible, and completely God-given. And so I believe firmly in planting our roots instead of tapping out. We, we replace instead of repair far too often. And, and, and we want as opposed to appreciate. And an example of that is um, yesterday we had the marriage group, uh, marriage connect group barbecue. And we were out by the grill. The guys were because that's what guys do. And uh, Kyle's actually using um, Andrew's grill. We were at the Oplands. And then Elisa came out and I was talking about the grill. I thought it was pretty cool. It had like two hoods and I thought it was a cool grill. And uh, she's like, yeah, it's, it's broken though. And, and Kyle has, or uh, Andrew has to repair something on it. And I was like, he's going to repair it as opposed to just go buy a new one <laughs> and sell this, like, say, brand new. It's sold as it, you know, like how we do on the Facebook marketplace. But he is going to go buy a part and repair it. And I was like, why do I not hear that very often? Why do I hear, like, oh, it's broken? I hear it's broken. I need to go get a new one far more than I hear it's broken. I need to repair it. And I will tell you on a practical standpoint, financially, you will thank yourself the more you learn how to fix things than replace things. And husbands, your wives will love you more for fixing things as opposed to replacing things. Unless, uh, now let me give you a trick. If you're, if your drill is already not a very good drill and it breaks, wives close your ears, tell your wife you got to get a new drill. And make it an impact, make it the best one you can possibly get. All right, you can open your ears now, ladies. 
I want to show a video real quick um, uh, just about what it's like to want more. It's kind of just a quick example of what it looks like to be in the head of especially Americans in this day and age. Go ahead. I composed all this, by the way, the music for this, so. If you don't know me, um, I was kidding. I didn't compose any of that music. I, I should never be anywhere near a keyboard or any instrument at all. It will fall apart if I touch it. But that video, um, I saw a different one like it that was like a full acted out thing, and I couldn't find it. But that was that's the point. And it's true. We live in this life of just constantly desiring something else or newer or better. And side thing, what I think is funny, when the sedan said he wants that off-road car, I'm pretty sure it was a BMW X5. Not an off-road car, but... I don't know who made that, but they're wrong on that. But it's true. We, we are constantly in this culture because we know we can. We know we can not, it won't take a whole lot of effort to get to the next thing. And credit cards and whatever, it's like you can get anything you want. And, and I just think that as believers, we need to set the example of what it looks like to be investors, investing in ourselves, investing in, in something, a church your relationships, and instead of being people who just give up because that's what the enemy wants us to do, that's the culture we're in, instead of giving up, we need to repair, we need to focus on, we need to work on. When things start to go wrong, it shouldn't be a reason to, you know, fight or flee. It's not flee. We're not supposed to flee into the next thing. We're supposed to fight for the things and the places God puts us, the relationships that God puts in our lives. Instead of, you, you know, this person offended me, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. It's, this person offended me, and I'm going to tell them, the way that it made me feel when they did this, and we're going to talk about it, and, it, and it's going to get better, and this relationship matters to me more than my pride and whether or not I was offended by something that they said. We have to, to, we have to make the decision at some point to be okay with where we are. Uh, wanting more out of life is not bad. It's when you're so concerned with what's next or when you replace something in the moment, the moment that it becomes difficult to work with. Um, Psalm 33, uh, verse 17, it says this. It says, don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. And so my question this morning is, what is the war horse in your life that you're trying to use to gain victory, that you're trying to use to take yourself to the next place in life that you, maybe you even feel God is calling you to go into? I know that I've had things in life, I felt like God gave me a promise, and I tried to make God's promise come about by, by fleshly ways, and it doesn't work that way. And, and you're not going to get the same power in it that God will give you if you just rely on his time. So what's the war horse in your life that you're substituting for God's grace and God's love and his provision? I want you to think about that this morning as we continue. Psalm uh, chapter 68, 19 through 20. So we read earlier, but we're going to skip forward to 19 through 20. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves 
from the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. And so this says right here that who daily bears our burdens. If he's daily bearing our burdens, then I have a reason to daily be thankful for him in my life and what he does for me. And too, too often I see it where we thank God in moments of worship. The one problem is that the moments of worship are only at church. It's only in a church building or at a service of some sort. And I think we need to get to the place where God's grace, what he's already done for us, not, not necessarily even the material things, but the fact that our souls are written and our names are written in the book of life, the fact that this world, this time on earth is very short, but eternity is forever, and we are locked in that with Jesus. Since when did that become not a good enough reason to praise him and be thankful each and every single day? For me, I have to get to the point where, yes, I have the world at my fingertips. I'm young, and I, whatever I want, I can go to school. Can, you know, you can really do whatever you want in this country. But i got to get to the point where my, my gratitude towards the, the Savior of my life, the one who died for my soul, it matters so much more than whether or not I obtain the new, the best, or whatever. And it's challenging, but it's, it's, a, it's a direction I think God wants to take his church. We have to wake up every morning and choose gratitude and choose thankfulness and choose trust. Just like that person I was talking about that lost their job, choosing every day to trust in God. Your prayers in the morning, they need to not necessarily just be constant requests to God about what you want him to get you in life or, or what you want him to bring to your life. And instead, they need to be prayers because I know you've already prayed for those things that you want in life. And it's not it's a good thing to pray for things. And he gives us the desires of our hearts and he knows he knows what we want. But I think our prayers need to become more of like. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for another day. God, I thank you for breath in my lungs. I thank you for a roof over my head. I thank you for the job that I have. It might not be my dream job, but I thank you for income, Lord. I thank you that you provide. I don't go without. I thank you that you say, yeah, I can trust in you and that you will take care of me. That I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, God, because you are with me. God, I thank you. For those things in my life, Father, you know the rest, God, you know everything I want, you know what I want to see for my family, for my life, God, but today I say thank you, because you've given me the gift of salvation, which is greater than any gift that I could possibly obtain here on this earth, and if that is our posture every morning, and if you don't believe it right away, if you're saying it just to say it, because I said to say it, then guess what, keep doing it. Pastor Kyle preached a message a while back where he said, do it with your body till your heart and your soul follows. And I have put that into practice in so many areas, and I'm an advocate for that. I believe in that. And doing it outwardly, there's something so powerful about using our voice, using our body to express things instead of just thinking them. Because like, we, th we can think all the time, oh, you know, thank you, God, you're so good, and thank you for this. But just declaring gratitude, declaring thankfulness over our lives, it will do something in your spirit. It'll take you to a place where, you're not just thanking God, but you're building roots of thankfulness to where it's just natural for you. You're going to continue in life thankful. And that thankfulness, that gratitude, will lead to the joy that you're, that you're longing for, to that happiness you're longing for, to that life in your bones that you're longing for. Because you're no longer discontent. You're, you're, you're content. You're knowing God. You put me here. I'm okay with where I'm at because I got you by my side. It doesn't matter what else I have, but I have a Savior that's not just to the left, to the right, or got my six or in front of me. He's everywhere around me, and he's inside of me, and he knows every battle I'm going to face. None of it's news to him. He knows exactly what I'm going to go through, and he shows me the way out every single time, and I can declare victory over every situation, and for that, I'm thankful, and I'm happy, and I got joy in my spirit because there's a real thing to be thankful for. Scripture says, I want to read this one again, Psalm 68 and verse 3. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. You're never going to be happy with what you don't appreciate. 
you will never be happy with what you don't appreciate. If you don't appreciate just the fact that maybe you got a roof over your head, then you're never going to be happy with that roof over your head, and you're always going to want more. And guess what? Once you get that new house, it's not the, the desire for something newer will not go away, I promise you. Once you get that new car, you're not going to not want a new car ever again because eventually that car will be old. Eventually that house will no longer be shiny and beautiful like the day you bought it. So constantly wanting more leads us to discontentment, but a thankfulness in the root systems and the things that truly matter lead us to joy, regardless of whether we're driving a 1970 vehicle or a 2020 vehicle. It doesn't matter because those things aren't determining what we have our faith in, and we're not, our identity isn't in those things. If your identity is in these things, the moment they go away, you go away. Your joy goes away. Your spirit breaks, and you fall apart. Our identities in Christ, our thankfulness in what he's already done for us, we get to live the life that's joyful and contagious and, and speaks to so many people. As we build a foundation and root system of thankfulness by choosing joy and gratitude and thankfulness, we create reactions. Um, these reactions that we create, um, they're something that becomes just, just that, a reaction. It's, it's less of a thought-out thing, a thought-out motive, a thought-out uh, response. It's, it's the way you immediately react to situations. I'm going to read this scripture from Psalms chapter 66, uh, starting in verse number 1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praises to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into land and they passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. And the rest of that scripture, all the way from 1 down through 12, is just thanking God for just things that have happened. Just, just kind of giving a list of the amazing things that God has done. But then all of a sudden you get to, to verses 13 through 15 and the narrative changes because it goes from inf informative, like this, these are the great things that God has done, to in, starting in verse number 13 says, Now I come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill the vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows that I made when I was in deep trouble. And this is the part right here. That is why I am sacrificing burnt offerings to you. The best of my rams as, pleasing, as a pleasing aroma and a sacrifice of bulls and male goats. And the reason why I want to highlight that verse um, in 15, it says, that is why I'm sacrificing burnt offerings to you. So 1 through 12 is, is this is all the incredible things that God has done. And then verse 15, that's why I'm praising you. That's why I'm worshiping you. That's why I'm sacrificing and giving my life back to you because of all these incredible things we've done. So this is his reaction. The author's reaction to what God has done was to do everything he can to show his appreciation to God and to be intentional about doing it outwardly and not just thinking thankful thoughts. It's not a thing. You can't think things into existence. I'm sorry to break culture's lies, but you can't just think something and it's going to come to pass. You can't, I can't think that Eli's amazing and he just knows that I think that. But if I tell him you are amazing and you're beautiful and you're not single, you're wed and your marriage is going to last forever and you're not going to go to the, your wife is not going to leave you for the singles group. She's going to go to the marriage group with you. And he would never know that I felt that way about him if I didn't say that. Amen. Amen. But we need, we need to get to the place where we're outwardly showing God, man, God, I mean, you've done so much for me that you didn't even need to do, and I know you're going to continue to do incredible things in my life, God, but, and those things are great, and I'm thankful, but you saved my life. You saved my soul. You redirected my path. My generations after me don't have to battle the same things. Generational curses have ended because of my relationship with you. My children don't have to face the same things I faced. I get to walk in victory, and so do my descendants. 
when did that not become a good enough reason to be excited about Jesus every single day? We need to get to the place where gratitude is the source of our joy and our peace and the life that's in our bones. When you have gratitude, you're able to keep your faith through any and all seasons. Just ask Job. I'm not going to read Job today because Job's an entire message in itself. But if you read the book of Job, you see a man who Jesus, or, or God, he chose Job t- for, to be the one that's attacked by the enemy. The enemy came to God and said, I, I, I tear anybody down, basically. I can take any one of these guys. And he said, not Job. Try Job. And he put so much on Job. And Job went through everything from emotional loss to, to physical damage, everything you can think of finances, everything broke in his life, but faithfulness remained, and it it makes no sense, but it's because he trusted in God, and he went through difficult times, but he was surrounded by people, and I want to highlight that. He was surrounded by people, so when you're going through difficult times, be surrounded by people. Don't do it alone. Don't go through things alone. The reason why we do connect groups isn't so we can have a whole list of cool connect groups. It's so that we can have places where every single person, regardless of your walk, you can find a community to invest into. You can find a community of people who are walking through the same type of thing you might walk through or have, they've already walked through it before and they can give you wisdom on that. We have connect groups so you can be a part of something so you don't have to do life alone. You don't have to walk through those difficult times by yourself. If you're dealing with loss, there's going to be people in this building who have dealt with loss and can help you in telling you that there's hope. It gets better, I promise. And that's the reason why we push connect groups so much in this church is because life alone is exactly what the enemy wants, and it's the, one of the biggest things that God wants to avoid having happen for his children. I believe God wants to see Christians walking in the abundance of life that he promised to us in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I really like the, the NLT version because it says, the, thief comes, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. That version spoke to me because we didn't have to decipher much, and it, it made it plain, but rich and satisfying. And you think, like, in your head, you're like, I can, I can get with this Jesus guy. I'm going to be rich, and I'm going to be satisfied. Lord, I serve you the rest of my life. Where's my Silverado? But that's not what he's talking about. It's not. And God wants, man, he wants us to be blessed and have these incredible lives. But what he's talking about here, rich and satisfied, it's something that we are worth trying to gain this version of rich and satisfying through material things that might make us rich and satisfied. And yet, so many times, you'll ask people who got all the success in the world, and they still are missing something. There's still something empty, and there's testimony after testimony. And, and I'll tell you, this rich and satisfying is something that a lot of people in this room have already got a taste of. And if you got a taste of it, you know how good it is. You know how satisfying it is. Not only that, but you want more of it. I've tried so hard for years. I wrote down this title to a message, and it's called The, the Balance of Discontentment and Contentment. And I have never finished it because it's so... It's so complex to live this life that, yes, you are content where God has you. Like, you're thankful that God has you where you're at. And there's a healthy discontentment. There's a very unhealthy discontentment where you're chasing the wrong things and you're trying to do things out of God's time. But there's a healthy contentment. The healthy contentment or discontentment is when you are discontent with your relationship with God for this reason. You want more of it. You want to you always live discontent in that relationship with God because you never want to be satisfied with where you're at with God. If you're satisfied, it's because you're not thankful enough. It's because you're not reminding yourself of what Jesus did for you. So be, living both content with where he's placed you and discontent and wanting more of God is where we want to end up, is where we want to live. That's the lane that we want to drive in the remainder of our life. 
But if we keep choosing discontentment, we are subconsciously choosing disappointment constantly. If we're choosing discontentment, we're, and byproduct of that is, is disappointment. Because when you're discontent and you're never satisfied, you're never going to be happy. You'll never experience the joy that God promised us in Psalm 68, verse 3, that may they be happy and joyful. You'll never experience it if you're living a life of discontentment and you're not satisfied and you're not, you don't have gratitude and thankfulness. You can't live both a life of joy and a life of discontentment. You can, you, now let me tell you this, you can definitely live a life of momentary joy, of, of temporary joy and things that the world can offer you while also being discontent because you're chasing things. Maybe you're going through life and your life may even seem fun, but at the end of the day, you're never going to li- have this life in your bones that Jesus wants you to have if you're constantly chasing the next thing. And so the challenge today is, man, can we please become people that are invested into ourselves, invested into our relationships, invested into our workplaces and our churches and things like that? Because we need to stop this cancel culture, this replacement culture. This needs to not be a thing. Cancel culture, I promise you, is not the heart of God. It is not the heart of God because God is not somebody who throws people in the trash because they offended you or, or you're canceled because whatever. I don't even know how to use the verbiage the right way, but it's a thing, and I don't like it, and I know God doesn't like it. Instead of cancel culture, we need to be a culture known as people who invest. Come on, at least as believers, at least as people representing Jesus. We need to represent Jesus and steward the fact that people around us know we're Christian, and if we're not representing Christ in the right way, they're going to get a wrong version of Jesus. If I say I'm a believer, I love God, and I serve and try to do all this stuff, but at the same time, I am one of the biggest advocates for cancel culture, I am misrepresenting the gospel and I'm misrepresenting Jesus. But if I say I'm a believer, and then they see things go on in my life that aren't fun, that's difficult, and I don't give up, but I invest myself all the more into that thing until it becomes something that God has blessed, there's things you walk through in life, and, and, and Cassandra, she's one of our, our leaders um, in the young adult ministry, she preached at the last uh, young adult service, and she, at the end of her, she shared this testimony, which is, her testimony is, is incredible, God, she's gone through so much, but at the end, you know what she did? She was praying, and she thanked God. She said, God, I thank you for those years of abuse and trials and tribulations and difficulties and pain. I thank you for those years because they made me who I am today. And I didn't give up, and I never lost hope in you, God. And I thank you for where I am today because I didn't cancel those things in my life. And what an example. And when we can just turn, as opposed to turning away, we look up to God, and we say, God, this this is not my, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your relationship with your children or friendships in your life. God, this relationship is not going well. I am, I am frustrated. This person continues to offend me. Every single day they're hurting me and they're, 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 they're just being rude to me and I'm feeling it. My, the inside me is becoming broken because of this individual. I want to I plug something in real quick. Now, if you are in an abusive situation, get out. Get out. Because that's not where you need to be, and you need to find wholeness. And I do believe there's a God of restoration and healing, and God's going to have his plan. But if you're in an actual abusive situation, I'm not saying keep trying and keep doing your best. I'm saying get out and get in prayer and get in counseling and allow people to support you in that. But instead of just simply becoming offended 
and turning away from relationships, we need to ask God to help us represent him well and remain in relationship with these people. Look at the disciples, the ones that turned their back and, and completely, like Judas is kissed, and you think of this, these stories and how Jesus still loves his disciples to death, and he still died for them. Every single person that spit on Jesus, that, that said he was a false prophet, that said all these terrible things, that, that, that broke his trust, that weren't honest people to him, he continued to love them, not only love them, but invest in them. He continued to do his part in the relationship and investing in them. Psalms 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. If you go to Psalm 34, 1 through 3, I will praise the Lord sometimes. No, it says I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are hopeless or helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. We can stand to our feet tonight or this morning. I'm a young adult pastor and I preach at night, so it's morning time now. You guys can stand to your feet. Um, with all heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, and the prayer team, you guys can come up. I got just some questions that I want to ask. And, I, and yes, I'm going to ask for a show of hands, but without anybody looking around. Can you honestly say you have joy? I want you to, this morning, if, if you feel like you, this message spoke to you because of this, that you are lacking life in your bones, you feel like you're, you're living a mundane, a, a monotone life, one that is just not filled with the joy that God has given us, and you're walking through this life just challenged by everything, and everything takes you out, and you just feel like, Man, I just need some joy. I need true joy lasting and supernatural joy. If you need that life in your bones this morning, can you raise your hand? All over this room, hands are being raised. I tell you that because I want you to know you're not alone when you raise that hand. All over this room, people are raising their hands because we're desperate to get out of this comparison, cancel, replacement culture and get into something that's actually long-lasting and satisfying, and that's a relationship with Jesus. And we long for it and we thirst for it, but we, we take the war horse in our life is not Jesus. It's other things we're putting in place of God to reach those places of victory or satisfaction. And everything's temporary. But the one thing that's not is Jesus. And I feel right now in my spirit, there's somebody who knows that, but has been fighting that reality. And you keep plugging things into your life. You keep plugging, I don't know who you are or what it is. Maybe you're putting drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex, whatever it is, uh, career opportunities, money, entertainment, whatever it is. You keep plugging things in because you're broken and you're longing for something else. But you, and you know and you've heard it's Jesus, but you keep fighting it. Today is your day. Today is your day to choose Jesus to be the one that satisfies your soul. Today is the day that God wants to put life in your bones, that you're no longer striving for the next great thing, but you're satisfied because God has already paid the ultimate price for you. And the word says he wants us to live in joy and happiness, and I believe God is putting that in spirits today. Now the next question I have is, is if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, 
This person is so incredible that I've been talking about all morning, and you have never given your life to Christ. You've never chosen to follow him, to receive the, the free gift of salvation, the one that comes with this life in your bones and this joy. You've never had that, that decision be made in your life, and you want to follow Jesus. You want him to be a part of your life. Can you raise your hand this morning? Amen. And maybe there's people online, too, making that same decision. We see you. We love you. Please reach out. But I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. And I want every single person in this room, because Vantage Point is a family, I want us all to pray this prayer together, because I believe that souls are entering eternity, entering into a relationship with God for all of eternity this morning. They're going to receive the gift of free life and joy and salvation this morning. So let's say this prayer together. Say, Father, I thank you for dying on the cross, for paying the ultimate price to give me salvation and life. And I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, Amen. And not just here shouted, heaven rejoices when one is added to the kingdom. Can we get to the place where we're satisfied with what Jesus paid for us? When Jesus was on that cross, when he walked that cross down, when he carried it on his back, when Jesus walked down that road after being beaten half to death, where most people would be dead already, but because he chose to keep fighting, he chose to remain invested. Can we get to the place where we're satisfied with what Jesus did for us and we're happy because of that? So many people say, I don't have a reason to be happy. Yes, you do. You didn't have to do what Jesus did for us. You didn't have to carry that heavy cross, fall on your face, be spit on. You didn't have to get mounted up on the cross with nails in both hands and in your feet. You didn't have to press on your feet the most excruciating thing you can do with nails in them just to get up enough to get a breath. But Jesus did it for us, and you don't have to do that. And your soul has a place in heaven. If you choose to follow Jesus, you don't have to pay. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to deal with pain at the level that people who don't know Jesus deal with pain. Can salvation be enough? That's the question I want to leave you with. And we're going to go into a song, and we're going to pray. And if you guys need prayer for anything, please, our altar is open. But that's the question I want to leave you with. Is salvation enough to give you life in your bones? Father, we thank you, Lord. We ask that you administer in this time, God. Move on hearts. Challenge us with that question. Teach us to invest. Teach us to repair instead of replace some of you in this room, I feel maybe you know what it is in your heart you need to invest in instead of run away from. And you're struggling. Maybe you're, you're shaking in your seat. Maybe your soul is, is troubled right now. But a troubled soul in the presence of God is a pull. It's, it's often a pull to respond to what God is saying to you. And this altar is open at this time. Thank you, Jesus.